Father, we do know that You are in the heavens. You do whatever You please. You are the sovereign of the universe, the sovereign of the affairs of men. We acknowledge the fact that the king's heart is like a stream of water in your hand. You turn it whichever way you wish. If that's true of those who are in high places, Lord, certainly we believe it's true of us who are your children and those who would be your children. We pray that you would move in our hearts today and teach us things which we need to consider and things which we need to apply. Give us the power to do that. And we pray, Lord, that you would bring a great revival in our own hearts and in this nation and in the world in the face of troubles unprecedented in our lifetime. So open our eyes that we might hear what you would hear us, have us to hear and see what you would have us to see. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just recently, the Fortune people sanctioned a polling of American adults. And they polled 2,111 of American adults to get the pulse of those people. What they discovered was that 50% of American adults are fearful of either themselves or their family members contracting the coronavirus. That wasn't too surprising. The second thing they discovered is that 75% of American adults are fearful of the economy crashing, which is not all that interesting in the sense of it being novel, because Jesus Christ teaches about this in Matthew chapter 6. Almost 2,000 years ago, he gave what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. So I invite you to take your Bible, turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to read the entire selection and then come back and look at it in some detail. Matthew 6, verse 19, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. For this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, and your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his life's span? And why are you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. 
Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God erased the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more do so for you, O men of little faith? Do not be anxious then, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or with what shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I'd like for us to begin by looking at verse 21, where Jesus says, Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The heart is the core of who we are. It's the very center of our being as human beings. And when Jesus talks about this, he's talking about the imperative nature of getting your heart in the right position before God. The treasures of our lives are those things which are of great interest to us. And also those things in which we invest. Let me paraphrase this for us for a moment. I think Jesus was saying, in effect, where your investments are, there your heart will be also. So this has relevance to us, of course, as we face these uncertain times. Let's take a look in more detail at this whole passage. And let's consider, first of all, the reason or reasons why we get anxious, why we worry. And then secondly, given the time frame, we will look at the remedy for our worrying, our anxiety. First of all, this text would tell us that the reason that we are worried is because we have wrong practice in our lives. Verse 19 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. This literally says, Stop laying up for yourselves treasures upon earth. Literally it says, Do not treasure for yourself treasures upon earth. There's a little redundancy in what Jesus has to say here. But we're to stop doing this. And he gives the reason why. He says, moths come in and rust comes in and destroy. We know a moth is an insect. And we know that there's nothing quite like wool, which was the most precious garment that a person could have, would have been a wool garment in biblical times. And we know how much moths love to come in and eat little holes in clothes which we might possess even today and ruin them. And then the word rust literally means eating. So let me substitute the word eating here. Where moth and eating destroy. What's that all about? If we were to look at every other usage of this word in the New Testament, it's always translated by our English word eating. What Jesus probably has in mind here is the fact when people stored up grain, and grain, by the way, if you look carefully at the New Testament, was also an expression of wealth. 
as was nice clothing. Well, mice and rats would find their way into those granaries and they would eat it up. Worms would eat them and then also, what he says about this, other insects would eat them and destroy them. And thieves can break in and steal. Thieves in that day didn't have to break through windows. And the idea here is the idea of dig in is literally what it says. Taking a trowel, if you will, and carving out a hole into a home where you could steal things, or better still, there were not banks at this time like we know them. There were a few cities who had banks, but generally speaking, there were not banks like we have them to store money. And what people would do when they had something that was of value, they would take a trowel or a shovel or some instrument like those and dig a hole in the ground, and then they would bury their treasure. Jesus even talks about this in the 13th chapter of Matthew, about someone who finds a great treasure, digs a hole, puts it in the ground, then goes gets the money in order to take care of that. So what Jesus is saying here is stop laying up treasures upon earth where nature and time destroy them, in the case of insects or rodents, and where thieves break in and steal. People steal stuff from us, don't they? And we're always wanting to secure those things that we really prize. This wrong practice is seen also, if you'll glance down the page, and notice what Jesus says in verse 23. He's talked about the eye being the lamp of the body. It's a little confusing on the surface. Hopefully that confusion will be resolved here in just a moment. But he says in verse 23, If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? The word translated bad is actually the word which is ordinarily translated evil. It's deliberate defiance of moral law for personal gain without considering what it will do to bring suffering into other people's lives. It is practicing sinful behavior for personal gain. It's all about selfish indulgence. That's the idea. So that gives us a little clearer understanding of all this talk that Jesus gives about the eye. And the eye, if it's evil, that is really stingy is what it means, the eye is evil, your whole body will be full of darkness. Stop and think with me just a moment about what John writes in 1 John. He talks about, in the second chapter, that there are various facets of what the Bible calls the world. And the world is not the physical globe or the physical universe. Rather, it's the system by which the world operates. In that same book, John also talks about how the evil one, and he uses the identical word that he uses here to talk about the eye being bad. And he says the evil one, Satan, is in control of the whole world. And there are three aspects of the world, and I'm going to isolate on one only, and that is the lust of the eyes. And the lust of the eyes is the desire for things, material particularly. 
And so what we see here is when the eye is evil, it's playing right into the hands of Satan. It's an expression of the world. Then the whole body will be full of darkness. We get the wrong perspective. We see the things of the world, and those things become our gods as opposed to the one true God. So in our lives, we need to be men and women who concentrate not on the things of the world, but on the Lord himself. We'll talk more about that too as we progress through this teaching. Well, we don't want to be clouded with darkness, do we? And our hearts are easily distracted by the things of the world. The stock market has lost probably close to 40% of its value in the last month. For some of us, that doesn't mean anything. For others of us, it means a whole lot because our retirement funds are tied up, are closely tied up at least, to that stock market production or lack thereof. And so it's easy to get dark in our hearts instead of having the light of the Lord in our heart. The reason we have wrong practices is because we have the wrong priority in our lives. We don't have the right God. Look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, what in the world does this word mammon mean? Some of your translations might actually interpret it as being money. Well, that's close to the idea, but it's not the entire idea. The word mammon comes from the language known as Aramaic in Jesus' day. It would have been in his mother tongue. He would have had as his primary language Aramaic, which is a sister language to Hebrew. And the word simply meant possession. It's a neutral word. And let me go ahead and make mention of this. I hope you understand that money in itself is not evil. So often I hear people say money is the root of all kinds of evil quoting 1 Timothy. But that's not what it literally says. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So if we love money, therein lies the problem. Money in itself is neutral. Mammon in itself is not something that is inherently evil. It's what it becomes in the hands of men and women who have bad eyes who have the lust of the eyes, and exposed by that, they identify with the world and the God of this world instead of the one true God. This word mammon came to be used initially to describe the entrusting of some possession that was of great value to a person of integrity for safekeeping. But as time unfolded, it came to mean that it had to do with the actual trust put in that possession. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. You cannot serve a God of mammon because he's all over the map, this God is, isn't he? And just think about things that are going on in our world today as I'm reading about the stock market because I'm a sports nut, I'm reading about 
the Dallas Cowboys' pursuit of Dak Prescott. He has the exclusive franchise tag on him. I'm not altogether sure what that means. Is I don't. What I think it means is nobody can touch him. But his salary is going to be pretty good. The first time I saw what it was projected to be, it was like in the low 30 millions a year. By the way, amazing. It's hard for me to imagine that. But because of the fact that that figure will be determined by taking the five highest salaries of quarterbacks in the NFL, averaging them together, that will be his salary. He's lost about $5 million already since that initial figure has gone up. Poor boy. $5 million, unreal. But he's still going to have about 30 left. That's not bad, is it? But I'm sure he's had some anxiety about that. And you and I probably would too. Why? Because we have that tendency to trust in our possessions. Why do we want to hoard things? And this word laying up, treasures, the word of laying it up has the idea of hoarding it. The word laying up was used, for instance, to describe the stacking of coins on top of one another, piling them high. We talk about stockpiling things. Well, that's what was going on. Hoarding is something we do because we're insecure, isn't it? Are you insecure in this day when there's just total irregularity, it seems, in the economy? Well, the good news is we don't have to be defined by that if we have the right perspective and we have the one true God as our God. We also hoard things for show. We want people to look at us and admire us and to honor us, glorify us. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus takes to task the Pharisees for practicing their righteousness before men in such a way that they may be seen by them. But other places in the Gospels, Jesus talks about the Pharisees being people who were thoroughgoing materialists. They were greedy people. They were people who were grabbing for every bit of money and possession they could get. And I think it was tied probably to a certain degree with the idea of security that comes with possessions. But also, it was because they wanted to be the show. John Chrysostom, who lived in the 4th century A.D., when I read his sermons, it's like he could have written them today. Tremendous interpreter of Scripture and shows the Holy Spirit's common ability in any era to say the same thing. But this is what he said. Nothing so trains a man to be fond of riches than his fondness for glory. We want glory. And we know that glory is reserved for only one being in the universe, God. So if you are a hoarder for security, you might as well give it up. Because it's going to be given up someday anyway, isn't it? Do you remember what Job said? Naked I came forth from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord takes away. We go out the way we came in with nothing in this life, 
So it really should be a priority in our lives to figure out how to properly invest our lives and not hoard things. Well, that having been said, let us look at the remedy for worry. What is the reason for it? We have wrong practice, which grows out of wrong priority, which is based upon having a wrong God. That's the problem. But here is the remedy for us. It is that we have right practice and right priority. Just reversing what we looked at earlier. Jesus does that for us. So let's consider the right practice. Go back to verse 19. I'm going to talk about it real quickly. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth. Stop it. That's what Jesus is really saying. Stop doing that. That's a tall order, but this is what Christ tells us to do, and he gives us the power to do it as well. Look at verse 20. It says, lay up, keep on laying up is the idea. Your treasures for yourself in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. This raises a very important question. How do we lay up treasures in heaven? The right priority, I've already mentioned that. I like what Dallas Willard does with the first of the Ten Commandments. We know what it says in most of our translations, you shall have no other God besides me. And he interprets it, and I agree with his interpretation this way. Make sure that you have no other priority besides me. We are to make God our priority. Make Him first in our lives. We're to serve Him. Verse 25, if you will look at it, it says, For this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life. Here again, he's using the same word about not being anxious. Stop being anxious for your life as to what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body and clothing? You would agree, right? It's more than that, isn't it? It's much more than that. In Psalm 37, there's a verse which says, I have been young and now I am old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. In other words, if we are people who have the right priority, and that would be having Christ at the center of our lives, worshiping the one true God, then the promise of God is that we're going to be cared for. Not in the sense of all the luxuries of our lives being met, but the necessities of our lives. Food, water, clothing. And then Jesus uses some very quaint but effective illustrations from nature. Look at verse 26. Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, and yet Heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? Well, that question expects, yes, we are, because we're made in your image. And we have been remade in Christ as new creatures. Consequently, we can count on the Lord. 
I have my own personal testimony of being on my own for 49 years. I left my father's and mother's house 49 years ago, got married, and what I can say is I've never gone without any food that I needed. I have way too many clothes. I'll never wear them out if I lived another 30 years. I've got all kinds of things that God has given me, many which would be considered luxuries. He's given those to me. He's been kind enough to give them to me. The Apostle Paul has this to say about possessions. He says, I've learned the secret of being content in each and every situation. I know what it is like to be well fed. I know what it is like to be hungry. I know what it is to have plenty. I know what it is to have little but I have found the, content, the, the secret of being content. Contentment is the best practice. And it grows out of knowing the Lord and then trusting Him in our lives. Look at the birds of the air. They do work, by the way, don't they? Sure they do. But they don't seem to show any fear. We can't get inside the head of a bird to know if he has that feeling, but God provides for them. Verse 27, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? Out of curiosity, I looked up to see if there's any data that I could access for this teaching about the impact of stress, which would be another word for worry and anxiety on our lives. What I discovered was a paper which was produced by the University of Rochester Medical School. And it said that 46% of people suffering from stress was the result of worrying about money. Interesting. And that same figure, roughly, In the high 40%, all American adults, 46% of them are plus that number, suffer from high blood pressure. Amazing. Now, high blood pressure is not always related to stress, but I know in my life it is. So pray for me, would you, that I could learn to put this into practice, this truth, so I wouldn't be bothered by that sort of thing. But we know that I can't, Add one single cubit, the leading cause of death among Americans who are adults is cardiovascular disease, high blood pressure, heart problems. Some of that's congenital. It's genetic. I understand that. But a lot of it is environmental. It's when we don't really have the right priority. We don't have the right God. We don't have the right practices. We don't follow the Lord as we ought. Look at verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God arrays the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more do so for you, O men of little faith? Let's pause here just a moment. We ought to be men of faith. Our priority should be that of what Paul speaks in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. He says, 
We make it our goal to please the Lord. It was his goal. Do you know that actually your treasure is really your God in a way? And we who have the privilege of knowing the Lord have the best treasure in Him and all that pertains to us because of our relationship to Him. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And so we want to understand how important faith is. Jesus, on more than one occasion, confronted His disciples, just like He's doing with them in this text, because these were words He gave to His disciples, taught them how to live the life of a disciple of Christ. He often says, O ye of little faith, and He was put off by that probably more than anything else, a lack of faith for good reason. In the book of Hebrews, the Bible says in the 11th chapter that Without faith, it's impossible to please God. In Romans chapter 10, the Bible says, Faith comes from hearing, hearing from the Word of God. In our prioritizing properly so that we will be healed of anxiety, we must be men and women who bathe our minds in the Word of God so that we can meditate on it and go to passages which encourage us in times of difficulty, that we will know we're not to be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, to present our requests to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, Paul writes in that same section, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. And the God of peace will be with you. There is the prescription of God's Word, isn't it? For this matter of being men and women who have proper priority and we don't fall into the trap of being dominated by our fears because we're men and women of faith. Verse 31 in Matthew 6 says, Do not be anxious. One would assume, based on what I've already said, if you've been following, the first two times Jesus says, Don't be anxious. He's saying, Stop it. Stop it. But in this case, He uses a different form of the command in the language, and it says, Never start it. Don't ever get into the habit, fall into the trap of becoming anxious. The circumstances that we are experiencing now are unprecedented in our lives, most of our lives at least. Unprecedented. And so there would be a temptation to begin to get uptight. But this is not a time for us who know Christ to become uptight. In fact, it's a time for us who know Jesus to not put on a show for anybody, not pretend we've got it together and we're not bothered by all this, but to really be men and women who take Christ at His Word so that we can be free of those things. And God will use you and me to minister to people who don't know the Lord or some who do and are not walking in the truth that we're looking at today. Do not be anxious then, verse 31, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or with what shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. It's talking about pagans, really people who don't know the Lord. 
For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. I've been astonished. Probably you have too. And aggravated at the same time, I must confess. When I go to Walmart almost on a daily basis to purchase some things, I always go to the aisle where the toilet paper is. I don't see one sheet of toilet tissue on that row. I'm still looking, but I'm not seeing it. Can you imagine people hoarding toilet paper? Were they expecting? There's no indication that one of the symptoms or outcomes of the COVID-19 is diarrhea. So we don't need all that. We need to do something with that, don't we? We need to prioritize the Lord first. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself is what Jesus says. So if we are properly prioritizing our lives in line with who the Lord is, then we'll want to share what He's given to us, won't we? We will. We share. We don't hoard. God does give people riches to enjoy I'm talking about material riches, believers. I don't know why He gives some more than others. I don't know about that. It's not my problem. It's His decision, and I agree with whatever He decides about that. But those of us who have excess, we need to be willing to share with those who are needing things. In our own church, we want to share with one another. We want to be more and more like the New Testament church was. And that would involve sharing with each other. Verse 33, this is a familiar verse, but seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. The command to seek is a present tense command. Keep on seeking first His kingdom. The word first suggests prioritizing, correct? Who's the king? He is. God is. Jesus is the king too. King of kings and Lord of lords. His kingdom And His righteousness. We're to set apart Christ as Lord in our hearts. Another way of saying the same thing. And all the necessities of life will be granted to us. Verse 34 says, Therefore, do not be anxious. In this case, it's what we just saw a moment ago in verse 31. Don't even think about being anxious for tomorrow. For tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. One of the greater physicians in the 20th century, he was the leading teaching physician at Johns Hopkins Medical School in the Northeast. And he would teach his students as they were making their rounds. He would say, every day almost, live in day-tight compartments what he would say. Live in daytight compartments. Do what you have been given to do today. Don't fret about tomorrow. Live today. Because Jesus would add, each day has enough trouble of itself. Would you agree with that? You got enough trouble today? Don't borrow tomorrow's trouble. You not, may not even be alive tomorrow. The trouble may be over by some great event. In your life. But the good news is that we are to have this single minded devotion. Because when Jesus talks about 
in verse 22, the lamp of the body is the eye, if therefore your eye is clear. The word clear probably carries with the idea of generous. The reason I say that, if we were to go to Romans 12, 8, where Paul is writing about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, he talks about the gift of giving, and he says, let him who gives, give liberally or generously. So the idea of our having a clear eye is being generous. And the whole body will be full of light. In other words, our lives will be full of the Lord and the way in which we relate to other people. I'd like to close with some questions after mentioning two verses of Scripture. The first verse of Scripture I'd like to mention is Psalm 62, verse 10. And it says, if riches increase, do not put your trust in them. Isn't that common? If we get a windfall, an unexpected gift, we say, wow, what am I going to do with this? This is awesome. And it is awesome, isn't it? But don't put your faith in that because riches are deceitful. They can be ours today and be gone tomorrow. We can get it today and just as soon as we get it, it's gone. Don't put your Trust in riches. In Psalm 119, verse 36, the psalmist petitions God. He says, Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. The Word of God is so rich. And we live in the Word of God and the outcome is we glorify the Lord for sure. Here's some questions to ask yourself today to determine if you are a person who has mammon as your God or the one true God in the person of Christ by the Holy Spirit as your God. When you have some idle time, what do you think about? What do you daydream about? It will tell you so much about who your God is and who determines your priorities. Secondly, What do you fret about? We've had a lot of opportunity to fret lately, haven't we? What do you fret about? Well, it will also tell you where your devotion lays. And then the third thing is, what do you use to measure other people by? How do you size other people up? Is it by their outward appearance? Is it by what they wear? What they drive? How in shape they are. What do you do to evaluate other people? And then here's the real clincher. What do you have in the form of a relationship with another person or things that you simply could not live without? Well, the good news is, if we know Jesus Christ, we have all that we will ever need and more. Paul writes this to Timothy. He says to Timothy, I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to keep what I've committed unto him until that day. If we have committed our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, we have nothing to fear because he's promised he will be with us through thick and thin. He will provide for us as we trust in Him. Remember, the key is faith. But 
Paul said it well. I know whom I have believed. Do you know Him? Do you know Jesus Christ? If you don't, cry out to Him in this time of trouble. And what you will discover is He indeed will calm your soul and heal your heart. Give you peace and make your life not just about you, but about glorifying Him and helping others in this time as well. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for the Word of God. We ask now that You would apply it to our lives. And I pray, Father, that Your Spirit will continue to work as we conclude this time of worship today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.